Welcome back, disciples. It's Zach Zender, one of the hosts of the Red Letter Disciple. Be joined by Chris Johnson in just a moment. And we love being able to challenge you to be the greatest disciple that you can be. And that's what we do here at Red Letter Disciple. And so thank you so much for listening. If this podcast is meaningful to you, if it's helpful or challenging, please, will you rate, review, subscribe, and follow? That means the world to us and ensures that we can hopefully keep doing more podcasts like this. Well, every season, I feel like we have uh, one or a couple stories that are just like ah, amazing, incredible. And today's is just that. Today, I'm welcoming onto the show Davey Blackburn, who was a pastor raising his young family, leading his church, went out of nowhere, came home after a workout at the gym and found his pregnant wife, unfortunately, sadly, tragically murdered. He's going to tell us the incredible story of what ensued, how this awful tragedy has now led to giving, how this pain is now giving him purpose for his life. I'm telling you, he's helping so many others now who are going through pain and tragedy of their own. And I just love the heart behind what he's doing and the story that it came from while while never something he would have chosen. It's amazing to see God's redemptive work in it. So you're going to hear that. You're going to hear how Davey now helps people take their stories back, which I love. So before we get to it, I want to thank our sponsor today, uh, Disciple Making for Churches Masterclass. This is a resource from Red Letter Living, and we are launching and we have launched this free masterclass that's going to help pastors and church leaders make greater disciples at their church. So I've been in the discipleship space for over 10 years, and I really want to do just that. I want to help pastors and church leaders. Uh, So I'm launching a free three-part video series masterclass where I'll break down what I believe is the key problem of disciple making in our nation today. I'll teach you the most important question to ask when it comes to forming your own disciple making strategy. I'll talk about the mistake or mistakes to avoid and answer some frequently asked questions about making disciples at your church. And all of it, it's free. It's a video series that's free for you. And after going through it, you'll be well on your way to learning how to make greater disciples at your church. And so will you register for that? You can go to redletterchallenge.com slash masterclass. And hey, tell a pastor or a church leader about it because they're going to want to hear it too. Because I know at the end of the day, if you're a pastor or church leader, you want great disciples. And so do we. That's what this podcast is about. And so today is going to really help you become a greater disciple as we welcome Davey Blackburn to the show. Let's do this. Man, today's episode is going to be awesome. I promise you, I've been looking forward to this one. We're bringing Davey Blackburn onto the Red Letter Disciple. Uh, Chris Davies loves helping people through writing, speaking, coaching, podcasting, and repurposing. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen that word in a bio, so we're going we're gonna to get into that. But It's like when you take one of your old shirts and then make it into a pillowcase. Oh, well, maybe that's what it is. We'll I find see. out. <laughs> but hey, in 2015, uh, Davey and his family's world was turned upside down. Mm. And and I want to have him tell you his his story. But since that day, and you're going to hear about that, God's begun to write a beautiful redemption story of healing, forgiveness, and purpose. And he's devoted his life now to helping others find redemption in their own stories and purpose in their pain. And Guys, you're going to, you got to, I mean, this is an incredible story. Yeah. yeah. And since then, he started a ministry called Nothing is Wasted. Mm. Love that title. And he has the Nothing is Wasted podcast with more than 2 million downloads. That's actually what I call you when we go to a restaurant. Nothing is wasted. Yeah. Oh, wow. There you go. You're, I didn't, anyway, it's your nickname. <laughs> so Davey's helping people take their stories back. He's going to do that with us today. Davey, what's up, man? Welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks so much hey. for letting me be on. Absolutely, bro. All right. Before we teach others to take their story back, we got to hear your story and how, how you've taken your story back. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I do need to put the caveat in there that you can only take your story back in partnership with the Lord. Right. I mean, that's the, that's really the, and that's not like a humble brag that legitimately is the only way that redemption can take place in your life. And so I, I'm standing here today only because of God and uh, what, what Jesus has done in my life. But uh, back in 2015, I was a pastor and a church planter. We had planted in Indianapolis, Indiana. And, um, it, you know, when you plant a church, we had, we did a parachute drop operation. When you plant a church, it's like, it's like God calls you to plant a, a parking lot or a, a forest and drops you in the middle of a parking lot. You know, yep. it's just a lot of like tilling up the soil. And so it was a lot of hard work. And my wife, Amanda and I, we were up for the challenge. We had a lot of faith. We felt like God could do some really uh, just, you know, big things through acts of surrender. And so we did, we put our entire lives into it. Uh, it took a long time until, mm. um, you know, we planted in 2012 and then 2015, we started to see a little bit of momentum happen going into the fall of 2015. We were running just over 120 people every week. We're like, okay, this is actually happening. It's going to take this is like a, our little baby that we've birthed is now going to start to grow. And, yeah, uh, then, you go through those months early in church planting oh, where it's man. like, God, <laughs> one family goes on vacation and it, it like threatens the oh, entire team. It's like, do we oh, even have a church yes, anymore? It's so funny that you say that. So like I planted a church six weeks ago, right? And oh, wow. I, I have, um, you know, the opening service was 248 and then the next week it dropped down to like 95 and you're wondering <laughs> yeah. if like, Am was I doing the right? I did I do something? Oh, but I literally have one family that has uh, mom and dad and six kids, and yeah. like they didn't show up one week, and then like my attendance <laughs> went down by like twelve percent. <laughs> That's the world of church planting, man. Yeah. We had like uh, we call it the mass exodus of twenty fourteen. It was really like five really prominent families that <laughs> left for job changes or nothing, right. nothing bad. But it was like, oh my gosh, is this like we're not even a church anymore? You know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, And so it is difficult. It's not for the faint of heart. You definitely have to have a calling. And we did. We had a very clear calling. I mean, if I were to lay out the entire way that God called us to plant this church and then told you, well, we decided not to plant the church, you'd lean across the table and you'd punch me in the face. You're like, you are <laughs> disobedient yeah. right now. You've got it. And, and so it was. But I'm grateful for that because I think church planting can become a very trendy thing. And some people are doing it because either they, they can't or won't submit to the leadership that God has placed over them or they're, they're having some kind of relational tension. So they think that the best way is to escape and go do it their own, you know, do their own thing. And that's not the reason to plant a church. The reason to plant a church is because you're called to it. Mm. And we felt that calling very clearly. We were on staff at a church in South Carolina called New Spring Church, youth pastors oh, yeah. down there. We were loving our life, thought we'd be there for the rest of our life. I mean, dream job out of college. And God just goes, nope, I'm calling you to something much bigger than yourself. And so we finally surrendered. 2011, November 11th, 2011, we moved up there. And then for the next four years, we're just, you know, putting our, our, our hands to the plow and so quick question did you plant yeah. that with the help of new spring or we did, did you yeah just, okay all right we were kind of a guinea pig in some ways for new spring planting churches yeah. um and so that was they were our sending church uh we didn't discover arc you know association related churches or any church planting network for that matter until the beginning of two or the end of 2014 beginning of 2015 and so that's when we started to put some systems in place and begin yeah. to yeah. actually see some momentum. Well, then fall of 2015, we think that we're hitting our stride, marriage, family. We have a 15 month old at the time. Everything seems to be going well. And then I come home on a Tuesday morning from the gym and I walk into my absolute worst nightmare. Um, my, my wife, Amanda, uh, we'd been married seven years. She was lying on our living room floor and she was surrounded in, in blood. And uh, extremely traumatic moment. She was pregnant with our second, and I thought that something had gone horrifically wrong with the 
pregnancy that maybe she had miscarried thought, well, if we just get her to the hospital, everything's going to be fine. You know, you're in this frantic moment where everything seems to be going in fast motion and slow motion all at the same time. Call the paramedics. They attend to her. They get her to the hospital. We follow. I grab my son, Weston, from his crib upstairs. We follow, you know, the paramedics to the hospital and we're sitting in a waiting room and a doctors and investigators come in and they tell me that she had three bullet wounds. And, um, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. Like there was, there was no reason for her. I, it, it, everything, I just didn't make any sense. But what began to happen when they told me that is that snapshots of things that my mind had taken pictures of while I was waiting for the paramedics right there by her side, they started to come into focus and everything began to, to become clear. And over the next couple of weeks, we, we then realized what happened that three men had broken into my home and um, they, had, they had shot Amanda and she was caught up in that scuffle. They broke into the home three doors down from us, saw me leave for the gym that morning and decided to take that opportunity to come in. And so when the doctors and investigators told me what was going on, Amanda was still alive um, and she was unconscious, but she was breathing. And so I thought that God was setting us up, our family, for a miracle, that God was going to heal her. And, you know, because you don't think about when you're you step out in God's will and you're like, God, you called us. And so, sure, we're going to go through hard, but but we're not going to go through this kind of a thing. So you must be right. Setting us up for some kind of a miracle. She's going to be healed. And then revival is going to sweep across the hospital and maybe our city. And 24 hours later, test results came back that she there was no brain activity. She was officially deceased. (sighs) And um, that was November 11th, 2015, which was four years to the day after we moved to Plantwell Church. So here I am now, all of a sudden, my life is turned upside down. Single dad, just lost my best friend, my soulmate, uh, trying to figure out what in the world just took place and trying to figure out how to pastor this young church that we had started together. Mm. In that 24 hours, were were you able to have any conversation with her? Uh, Obviously, her brain activity is not working. Um, Yeah, we... You know, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of things that we don't know. Um, you know, we can surmise that because the last bullet was actually, it was through the back of her head, that she wasn't aware of anything that was going on, that maybe just out of, um, you know, her uh, parasympathetic nervous system, it was just keeping her alive. Her organs were failing pretty quickly in the 24 hours in the hospital. And so, you know, yes, while we were trying to talk to her about, you know, and see if she could respond or if she heard us, we were having quote unquote conversations or saying things that we would want to say to her, but um, she was not responding at all. I I just can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. and then you go upstairs and Weston's there. Yeah. Completely untouched. So as far as I can tell. Yeah. Was was this a com, like completely random mm-hmm. act of violence? Yeah, you know the the trial actually took place this past October, so seven years later. Wow! Um, oh my gosh! So like whole, whole another story, but we found out how quote unquote random it was, and you know you I had to wrestle with that because the first few months in my healing journey, one of the things that I had to really wrestle through was the sovereignty of God. You know, obviously how in the world could you allow something like this to happen? Right. And you get to the conclusion, especially someone with a theological background and ministry yeah. training and right. And things you're preaching all the time. Now, now I'm stared face to face confronted with the things that I'm preaching. 
do I really believe this? But you, you end up coming to the conclusion that you have to trust the sovereignty of God, that he knows the hairs on her head. He knows the number of her days. And so you get to that place, but then it was completely re unearthed in me last October, as I'm seeing all the just random places where it could have been diverted, but it was just a random, random crime spree. Did you watch that trial? Did you? Yeah, I was in. I was in it. I was. Yeah. Okay. So you had to stick through. So you finally come to this place of healing, and then it's almost like, oh my gosh, I got to deal yeah. with this all again. Yeah. And what what ended up happening with the the gentleman? Yeah. So there were three. Two of them were accomplices. They took plea agreements to testify against the shooter, and the shooter ended up getting sentenced eighty six years. Um, that's going to be stacked on top of several other things that he has. So he will essentially be life in prison. So you saw that person face to face in the courtroom. Yeah. Can I had you, to you know, read can a you, statement. And, can and you what, tell me sitting in that courtroom, what were you thinking so many years later? Well, you know, there, that is, that was a long journey, right? So wow. even so many years later, there's a long journey of trying to untangle rage and bitterness inside of me toward what happened to amanda um it's something that you know i i really again had to i had to ask the question do i really believe that i can trust god with ultimate justice and vengeance no matter what the united states or the state of indiana court system does no matter what kind of justice system we live under here on earth do i trust him that vengeance is his that justice is his and he has the purest form of it and so i had to really Ultimately, what I've figured out is is taking that battle back up into the spiritual. And so um, now, fortunately, that that had happened years before I had to actually sit in the courtroom. So I was prepared for that. I was prepared to sit in the courtroom, but nothing really, truly prepares you for seeing your wife's killer face to face for the first time. And that was the first time that I was in the same room as him. Did did he take the stand? He uh, he did not take the stand. Okay. Okay. I took the stand, okay. so I had to sh- share testimony. Sure. And then I also, at, in his sentencing, um, read had to read a statement. Wow! And in that statement, you know, I essentially, um, we, we and I did this with each one of the, each one of the, the men and right. the other two, the accomplices. You saw some level of remorse. Okay. You saw some level of, right? But with him, you didn't see anything. Wow! And so I truly believe that he was, as scripture talks about, turned over to an irreparable mind. I believe he was so, mm. whether controlled or possessed or right. influenced by the enemy, by the devil, that he had a complete seared conscience and mm. could not operate in any kind of prefrontal cortex right. at all. He was complete limbic system. And so there was no, there was nothing. And so it was just really difficult. You know, you're trying to I tried to offer forgiveness and share the gospel in that moment, but there was no, there was nothing from him. There was emotional responses from the other two, however. So each one I had to approach differently. Yeah. To be honest with you. But really what I had to, what I've had to really resolve to is that the, the message of forgiveness, of hope, of healing, when, when I speak about that, preach about that, talk about that, that what it does is it takes that battle back up into the spiritual because the real enemy here is not these three men. Mm-hmm. They were influenced by the real enemy. The real enemy is Satan, and he wanted to win the day twice, okay? So just as he did with Jesus, right, he thought that he had won the day when Jesus went to the cross. I'm sure that they were dancing on Jesus' grave. Yep. Little did they know Jesus was going to 
ricochet this thing back, right? Like a jujitsu artist. And he was going to turn this round <laughs> yeah. on the enemy. And ultimately, that's what, you know, Timothy Keller says, God gives evil enough space in our lives that it will ultimately terminate itself. Wow. So there's this, this flip that God does in our stories if we let him. There's a redemptive thing, and that is demonstrated by the cross. You know, Satan struck his heel, but he crushed his head. And so when you operate with weapons of righteousness, when you operate in the spiritual with forgiveness, with hope, with grace, with love, with mercy, as opposed to fighting fire with fire or bitterness with bitterness, you extinguish what the enemy is trying to do, and it turns it on the enemy. You, you sound— yeah amazing right now but i i'm just like I, if i went through that i mean i can't imagine how long it would take to come yeah. to that so, so yeah. walk me back then because that's the trial that was just mm-hmm. ago, maybe seven years after the the incident you know and you talk about this this seemingly random thing and i mm-hmm. i i understand like god's sovereignty and and maybe his randomness but I would be frustrated with like, I get that sometimes we don't always understand why these things happen, God, but why, why is this happening to me? Like I'm, <laughs> me and Amanda, we're, we're yeah. doing our best. We're planting our church. We're I mean, going it, through it, everything. Like In the Midwest, this doesn't happen. In, in no. Here. Yeah. Like, especially like suburban right. Indianapolis, you know? Yeah. And that's, the, those are, those were very real questions. You know, those why questions. And I can't, I can't say that God actually gave me any kind of explanation as to why. Yeah. I don't think he usually does. I do think why is an important question for us to ask. I think it takes us into a space where we can begin to lament, which is the most important part of, I think, any kind of grieving or healing journey is actually laying out those questions, the raw, the real, the unfiltered to God. Yeah. And as I did, God began to show up for me in very personal ways to remind me that maybe he can't reveal to me a reason or an explanation, but he gives me something better. I can say it in preacher terms now. I didn't have it back then. Rather than that, rather than explanation, he's going to bring restoration, right? He's going to bring incarnation, which is his presence. And I've experienced that anecdotally back then where I'm going, God, what in the world are you doing? And God rushed in with his presence and there would be some days that he gave me this like peace that passed all understanding that guarded my heart and mind. I didn't understand. It didn't make sense to me. And then other days though, it, my emotions would completely flip and I felt like I just wanted to die because I couldn't imagine living without her. And so the Psalms became very real to me in those moments, right? You see this like, you know, back and forth, this, yeah. this oscillation between uh, hope and, you know, uh, triumph and, and faith. And then this like complete anguish with the psalmist. And I felt that. And so I just can, I can point to the fact that God showed up in very personal custom designed ways in my life. The, the first one, while we're in the hospital waiting for test results to come back, I was sitting on um, one side of her bed on, on the other side was her sister. Incidentally, the same exact sides that we were sitting on 15 months earlier when Amanda was bringing Weston into the world. And so it's me and her sister. And we knew that if Amanda could hear anything, she'd want to listen to Elevation Worship. That's what she used to run to. Yeah. That's what she used to. And so we put on Pandora radio station at the foot of her bed, Elevation Worship radio station. Right. Well, you can't choose what right. song is going to, right? It's randomized with Pandora. The first song that came up was the song, Nothing is Wasted mm-hmm. by Elevation Worship. And that was a moment right there where it's like, it's like heaven touched earth, like this sacred moment where God spoke to her sister and I, and essentially said, this is not going to turn out the way that you guys want it to, mm. but I am not going to waste this. Yeah. That I'm going to, I'm going to use this for your good. And I think that's the part we miss sometimes, right? That 
sometimes we're like, okay, God, you can use bad things that happen to me for other people's good. That's great. Right. But yeah. For me, I'm going to use it for your good and for the good of the world. Right. And, um, and so that was, and then the next song that came up was good, good father. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so now you're confronted with like, do I truly yeah. believe that you are a good father? Not just yeah. to me, but also to Amanda, like how in the world do you wrestle with how she died? And, you know, so I did like a couple months later, I did like an entire blog post series on how do I, how did I deal with the way yeah. she died, the violence in which she died? And God pointed me back to like the martyrs, you know, Stephen, mm-hmm. the first martyr. And the, and the way that God protected Stephen, at least what it looks like from what we see in Acts, is a way that nobody else could have protected Stephen, right? He's, he's being stoned in this most gruesome death that you can imagine. And it says he just looked up and saw Jesus seated at the right hand. Mm. And then he fell asleep, right? But before falling asleep, he said, Father, forgive them for right. they don't know what they're doing. Echoed the words of Jesus, right? So like God, here's the thing. God will show up. He showed up for me in that. He goes, hey, I want to show you Stephen. And I want to show you how I shielded Amanda in a way that you would not have been able to protect her. You mm. would not have been able to, like I protected like the parts of her, the aspects of her that, that no human being can touch. Mm. Wow. So mm. y- you hear this amazing uh, song, uh, collection of songs. And if obviously if we were to fast forward, even in the bio, it said he's got a ministry now called nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted mm-hmm. podcast helps people take their stories back. So like people can already guess where this is going, but I want you to kind of walk me through the, yeah. that, that process then of, okay, the 24 hours are over. She mm-hmm. didn't make it. I got to start life over. Right. With a, uh, what's that with like? A, with a yeah, new, with a, I mean, a brand dad. new newborn right. too. Yeah. Like right. so many things, new church, new baby. Yeah. So we're, yeah. I mean, the next several months were, we were bouncing around from house to house because my house was a crime screen, a crime, a crime scene. The, um, you know, we're, we're just trying to survive. And, and, and we went through the same phases that I see go, everybody go through in terms of the first few weeks were just shock. Now ours was a media story. So that oh, added another layer to, you had to hide. I had to, yep. I had to find some shelter. We yeah. had to, uh, fortunately, New Spring was really prepared for something like that because they were our sending church. They also sent a team on the ground to really help us navigate all of that. Yeah, and so they took alleviated a ton of pressure off of me. And then there were a couple appearances that I did make in a complete state of shock, but um, they were the ones that really helped to determine. Okay, these are the ones that we can trust, and Amanda would want you to talk about Jesus in this moment, and then we can get you out of here, and you can go and just get the best counseling and the best. So over the next like several months and even really that full year, I would say that because our story, one of the advantages of, there was many disadvantages to our story being such a public story. But one of the advantages was that the, like all of Christendom wrapped their, their arms around us. I mean, it was like, I can't, I'd still today, I meet people that I go, I was praying for you mm. because I saw your story. And it brings me to tears because I'm like, and I, I felt it. I sensed it. We were in, we were undergirded with the hammock of grace. And there were so many great pastors and counselors and church leaders that said, Hey, come spend some time with me. I just want to love on you, pastor, you shepherd you. Did and you so, hear that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I have no idea how to recover from this. Yeah. Right. So you're you're going to have to write the prescription and nobody, the first counselor that I saw guys, he looks at me after I laid everything out. He goes, I don't know how to help you. Right. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's as a pastor, manual for this, right. Yeah. As a, as a pastor, if somebody came to you with that issue, like all I could say is, oh my God, I am so right. sorry for you. Right? right. Like there's no, you don't learn this in seminary. Like exactly. Yeah. 
And so that's what I told the Lord. I said, Lord, you're going to have to lead me and you're going to have to write the prescription. You're the great physician. You're the great, the wonderful counselor. You're going to have to heal me. And so every opportunity that came up, I just said, yes. And God led me on this incredible healing journey. And so, you know, when I look back on it now and, and as we're helping other people, I'm continually reminded that I was stewarded this incredible healing journey. Mm -hmm. And most people are not 99.9% .9 of people that's not availed to them. And, and I remember asking the Lord about a year and a half, two years after God, why did you give me that? Why? And, and he said, because now it's your turn to go and put that to work and help other people. Wow. wow. And so, you know, a full year into all of this, our church actually grew significantly. Wow. From about 120 people in six months to over 400 people. Some people were coming to like support. Some people were coming just to kind of see what in the world is going on. How's this pastor still preaching? How's this church still standing? A lot of people were coming because I was now disclosing every Sunday, everything that God was teaching me in my own pain journey. And, and I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of people who are experiencing pain. Yeah. It was relating to people. And so and it was, it was giving them permission for yeah. the first time sometime for many people for the first time in church to actually talk about their pain. Well, and so many, so many people think that we have all the answers and you're literally going through a period of your life where you had none of the answers, None of them. Uh, but how long did it take you after this incident to step back on the altar? Yeah. To get up and preach. Yeah. Yeah. It was the beginning of February. So November 10th, November 11th was the, the two days that our yeah. home was broken into and she passed away. Beginning of February, I preached my first message. Wow! Actually, I take that back. I did preach a Christmas Eve message. I just felt like it was yeah. it was literally surrounded. You know, I look back on it now. I totally forgot about this, but it was Mary. Did you know? Kind of thing. Like, would you have still said yes if you had known? Wow! And it was it was me wrestling with like if oh my if Amanda yeah. had known that we this was going to happen from us coming to Indianapolis, would she have still said yes? Uh. So I kind of fleshed that out in a Christmas Eve. What was service. the answer? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. And so yeah. talk about that briefly. It's literally a month yeah. after the most tragic event that a human being could go through. Yeah. And you make the decision. Like, I, I just feel like we got to do this. Talk about your emotions behind that stepping up the altar the first time. Part of it, you know that everybody was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Part of it was that, you know, I had a pastor tell me, he said, you're going to, I said, how long am I supposed to recover for? Like, right. I didn't know, right? Maybe, maybe six months, maybe a year. And he said, I promise you within three months, you're going to have a fire in your bones. Mm. It's going to feel like you're taking back territory from the enemy that he's stolen from you. And this is the only way to do it. Cool. And that that's what I experienced. It was like something started stirring in me that was like, I, the only way to fight this battle is in is right here by proclaiming the gospel and watching people come to know Christ. And to wow. me, the image that I got was then as a warrior, although I wasn't there protecting, this sounds so strange, guys, I'm sorry, but <laughs> although I wasn't there protecting Amanda, I couldn't be a warrior to protect her. What I could do and what I knew that she would want is I could step into the spiritual realm and be be a warrior to protect people from from other things that the enemy, the enemy attacks from other people's lives where pain was paralyzing them. And so yeah. if I preach the message of forgiveness, I'm snatching them up out of the en enemy's clutches in partnership with God. And that's taking off the real enemy, right? It's like, so I'd imagine just like kicking Satan in the teeth. 
mm. over and over and over and over. Mm. And now there were times Which where I would feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did on some level. It was very yeah. brought meaning to right. it. Right. And and when there is no explanation or reason for, I mean, there are senseless things that are done to us and pain that we go through. When we can't find a reason, we have to tap into meaning. Mm. We have to tap into purpose. And that's what I discovered there. And so all the while I'm doing that, our church is growing, people are coming, they're getting healed, they're getting saved. It was like unbelievable what was going on. But I would take some reprieve. Like I would just go, again, I would preach on a Sunday and I'd go for a week and just spend time in intensive counseling. And I would just like be with the Lord and just like figure out, okay, God, what what are you trying to talk to me about? What are you trying to teach me in this this time? And uh, I look back on it, guys, I'll be honest with you, as strange as this is to say, the two years recovering from that are some of the sweetest years that I can remember. Wow. Hmm. As odd as that is, and that's because of how close Jesus and I got. Hmm. That, And I don't feel that now, right? And often it's some of the most painful things that we go through that propel us into a very intimate relationship with the Lord that really can only have, like the mysteries of God that can only be revealed to us after we've gone through something really painful. I think the culture we're in right now is so like anti avoid suffering at all costs. Mm. And like the apostle Paul to what you're saying, it's like, no, the, the more I suffer like Christ, the more I, I understand and become like him. Is that, is that what you're experiencing? Absolutely. You know, it is that idea of like, we want to experience the resurrection as Paul said, but first, (laughs) right. The pathway to experiencing resurrection is experiencing his sufferings, sharing in his sufferings. Okay. Elizabeth Elliot calls it the gain of loss. Mm. She says, what is gained in relationship with the giver far outweighs the loss of the gift. Mm. And so there is something that you, heaven becomes very real. Eternity becomes very palpable. God's kingdom comes into crystal clear sight. When you go through something horrific and tragic, if you're walking with Jesus in it and what can happen is now what scripture says, where it says um, this light and momentary affliction is producing for us or achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all that becomes true. And you feel it like you're like, Oh, that's what that means. (laughs) You know, because there's something so sweet about walking with the Lord in the Valley of the shadow of death. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good. All right. So church is going well. Still, I mean, you're battling. It's a it's an everyday battle, but church yeah. is going well. You're finding success um, in 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 that. So yeah, keep keep walking me through your so, journey. Then. Well, so what happened then too is I I started blogging, and there were tens of thousands, sometimes even hundreds of thousands, depending on the blog post, people reading the blog. It tuned me into this. There are not just people in our community that are hurting; people all over the world are hurting. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and so in 2017, I, um, I, I decided to start a podcast because I actually felt a little bit misunderstood. I'll be honest with you, because, um, here I am still preaching, you know, and doing this stuff and people are going, how in the world? Like there's no, they couldn't add the two. I couldn't reconcile. And I'm going, no, you don't understand the incredible people that I met along this journey that have helped me. I've borrowed their faith. Yeah. People have gone through even worse things than like what I, and you shouldn't compare pain, right? Because pain is pain, but sometimes it is nice to see, well, that person's gone through something worse than I have. It seems like, and, and they're still following the Lord, you know? And so if God can do that in their life, he can do it in my life too. So I decided to bring people onto a show like this and go, 
hey, why don't you tell us your story and how God has shown up in your story and then broadcast that to everybody. And that became the Nothing is Wasted podcast. And we still run that today. Um, right before that, right before starting the podcast, um, there's a, I meet this girl and um, she, we were both working out at the same CrossFit gym. Mm-hmm. There were several people who went to our church that were working out that same CrossFit gym. I didn't know anything about her whatsoever, but she walks into this gym with a group of other uh, girls who had been working out there and, you know, some other, some of our friend group and stuff and the owner's girlfriend at the time. And so they they come in and it was like this, like dove kind of descending moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and truthfully guys, it was the first time that my heart had unlocked again. Uh, oh wow. Which both simultaneously felt like, wow, this is, this could be revived. Like I could maybe even have feelings for somebody or be attracted to somebody again. And it felt extremely scary at the same mm. time because you know, when you, when you love as deeply as what a man and I loved each other and then you, then you lose like that. It's like, I don't want to go through that again. Right. I don't want to put my heart out there again. Yeah. So, but and I had been praying get in the public limelight more, which is like <laughs> there carries more weight and consequence. I would think to this, right. We could talk about this for three or four <laughs> hours. If you want to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, so here I'm going, I don't know how to how do you even approach dating as a pastor, as a, right. I can't go to Chick-fil-A without getting recognized and asked to take a picture, which is extremely odd. So I'm like, you want to take a picture with me because my wife was murdered. Like, I don't understand what you're talking. Like what? It it just felt very peculiar. The whole Mm -hmm. thing. So, um, anyways, I'm praying God, if you ever bring me a wife again, would she love you more than she loves me? Would she love me? That'd be awesome too, right? <laughs> would she love Weston as if he was her own? And would she love Amanda? Because I knew that what, one of the purposes that God was bringing out of me in this was to help other people through Amanda's story. And I knew that this, whoever, if I had another wife, she'd have to sit on the front row and listen to me share Amanda's story over and over and over. Yeah. And that's, let's be honest, that's going to be tough, right? Right. Right. And so here I see this girl, don't know anything about her. And um, she avoids me like the plague for the next like three months. (laughs) She actually begins attending my church. One of the other girls invited her to come. You know, I think at the time we were supposed to have Lisa Turkers come in and preach. Mm. And then, and then everything happened in Lisa's life right at that same time initially. And so she wasn't able to come. So my aunt came to preach for Lisa, which is funny because my aunt's like, oh, thanks, Davey. Like (laughs) we're doing some some, like women's series or something. And so all these girls end up coming, Christy ends up coming and, uh, and she likes the church. She's like, wow, this is really her daughter liked the church. So now she's walking into the church every, every single Sunday, dropping her daughter off. So she's got a story and I'm going, okay, something. So now if it doesn't work out, you lose two church members. You know, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> that was a legitimate fear of her, to be honest yeah, with you. She's right, like, right. I love this church. And if something doesn't work out, this is going to be bad news. Right. Um, I get it. So three months, fast forward three months, she's avoiding me like the plague. I'm walking. I'm actually finishing up the manuscript of my book. Nothing is wasted. Asking God, God, what is my redemption story? Like, I believe that nothing is wasted. I see what you've done in my heart, but what is, how are you going to restore this? I come into the gym. She's walking out. I go, this is my opportunity to have a conversation with her. So I corner her very pastorally and, um, <laughs> and say, why are you? Oh, wait, wait, how yeah. that work? <laughs> I literally guys, you're going to get it. I could say to her, I was like, Hey, you've been coming to my church for a few months. I don't know your story. Tell me your Jesus story. It was so lame. It was awful. But I didn't know what to do. <laughs> hey, in fairness, you've been off your game for a while. Right? I've been off my game for quite a while. Yeah. And so I go, 
she tells me she unla- she lays it all out to me. It turns out she her parents live in this neighborhood that we as a church had been serving at, at, as like an adopt a block type thing. And so I was like, well, you know, the reason that we're doing that is because, um, you know, well, first of all, I was like, you, your parents live there by choice. She's like, yeah, they feel like it's part of their ministry that they that they do there because it's a very violent neighborhood, very, mm-hmm. very scary inner city neighborhood in Indianapolis. And um, she had been serving in that inner city ministry as well. I'm like, so that, okay. So you're passionate about ministry and missions. You've done some missions work after college. You, the real reason that we're doing that there is because of the way Amanda was killed. And we want to intercept kids and teenagers before they step into wow. this kind of a lifestyle. She said, yeah, I know your story probably I'm more familiar with it than what you would feel comfortable with. And I'm like, what, what do you, hold on. What do you mean? Yeah. She said, my stepdad who lives down in that neighborhood with, with my mom, he's one of the chaplains for the Marion County prison system. And he's been assigned to the three guys that killed your wife. Whoa. So here, all of a sudden the the convergence of this in one moment, this girl that I'm intrigued by for the first time since my wife was killed is now one arm's length away via her stepdad, who is a pastor sharing the gospel with the three men that killed my wife. Oh, how'd you feel about that? Yeah, I couldn't, I I was dumbfounded. All I could say was, I literally said this. I said, do you want to go grab some dinner? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, much smoother than your opening line, by the way. All I could think of was like, God, there's something I got to get underneath it. I got to get behind what's going on right now. What are you doing right wow. now? And um, because here's the thing in the backstory, in the backdrop, God had been pressing into me that, that I was, that I was being thrust into or called to a Jim and Elizabeth Elliot type story. Now, you've done that since I was 18 years old, At 18 years old. I got fascinated with Jim and Elizabeth Elliot story. I read all of their journals. I don't know why it was a part of my time with the Lord to try to become content with just being single in some of their journals that they wrote back and forth. And then here I am now thrust into a story where my spouse is murdered, just like Elizabeth's was in Jim. And Elizabeth goes back in to this unreached people group that killed her husband and shares the gospel with them. And, um, and so I felt like the Lord was going, I'm going to be calling you to this. And this was just one more step toward that i can just see so clearly through the nothing is wasted name and brand that gosh all all these elements of your story nothing's wasted but this is i mean this is an insane fork in the road right this is insane so like you then you you start dating yeah well she still avoided me for a while yeah (laughs) because she and and part of it is some of you know i mean she could talk about uh, for hours about why but part of it was because she didn't want to be a part of the glass house that is my story. Right. Right. Um, She wanted to serve the Lord. She was serving the Lord in the back room of our kids ministry. Right. And then you're going to be thrust into the spotlight, thrust into this whole thing. And so that was a resistance. She's like, I don't want, so she even said at one point, she's like, I would, I want to marry a guy like Davey. I don't want to marry Davey. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but you know, the Lord did something really cool. And as, as I started pursuing her and she finally conceded and said, yes. And then just really tethered our hearts together. And, it's a, it's an, it's a beautiful thing. Now it's a difficult thing, but you know, it's a beautiful thing to blend a family. Yeah. And so her first marriage ended in a really painful divorce. 
And so she has a daughter and then my son. And then we actually, we got married in 2017. And now fast forward, we have three together. So her daughter is nine, Natalia. Yeah. It's our daughter. We still, we call her, she calls me dad. My son Weston is eight and Mm. he calls her mom. Nice. She actually legally adopted Weston, which is a really cool thing in and of itself. And then we have one of our own Cohen who's three. And um, so we have like a yours, mine and ours thing. And they're all three firstborns. (laughs) <laughs> so man we're like everyone's fighting for alpha in our house right 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 so rewind a second you say that her dad her stepdad yeah. is uh basically sharing the gospel with these three men right. i assume there's a point at some point where you sit down with stepdad and say so how's that going <laughs> yeah and what's interesting uh, you know that's a really good question because he is actually it's kind of like a counselor, you know, um, agreement of, of confidentiality of like, sure, sure. Safe, you know? And so he's actually not allowed to share with me his discussions with them, but early on in our relationship, he'd ask me about certain of the guy, you know, he'd say, Hey, what do you know about Jalen? What do you know about? And he would just try to get information about what I knew to see if it was safe for him to disclose some more. He was shortly after we started dating, we actually told him to go and tell his, once he found out to go tell his supervisor and he got reassigned because that would have been, especially in the public eye would have looked just kind of weird, you know? Agreed. Yeah. But it was just, you know, it, it was something that I think the Lord needed to do to bolster uh, my confidence in what he was doing, what God was doing behind the scenes before I could even step in front of these men and share the gospel with them. So wait and, a second. Did you? In, in the trial. Yeah. And their sentence. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I have not visited any of them in prison. Yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, didn't um, know. I do feel like that's the next chapter. That's the next Oof. part of what we're supposed to. I don't know how that's honestly like, right, I'm, sure. I'm not sure how that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, that's a tough one, isn't it? But, um, but I feel like I feel like at least for the two accomplices, I don't right. feel that right now. I don't feel called to do that for the shooter yet. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, so it's well, good. Yeah. So you start this podcast. You you meet uh, Christy. You said is, Christy, is your yeah. wife, and 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 you're forming a family. And yeah, next you're, season you're, we're bringing her on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're forming the family. You're f- doing all this new thing, feeling called to do something more th- to, yeah. than just the people of Indianapolis. And and your story is resonating. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it is is that mission to help people take their stories back. And right. so, like from from your perspective. Like how, how do you take your stories back? Because sometimes our stories literally get hijacked from us, like your, nice. your case. It's true. Sometimes they just slowly drift away, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So how, how does someone find themselves in a place where I got to take my story back? Right. And what yeah. do they do? Yeah, so it's such a great question. Well, the 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 passage of scripture where we got that whole phrase from was um, in in Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. You went to Chronicles to form a ministry? What are you doing, David? Uh, I'm sorry. It's not Second Chronicles. It's in Second Samuel. Okay. Uh, and David, here's the story. David is fighting behind enemy lines. He's on the run, right, from Saul. And he's fighting, but he, he convinced the Philistine commander, Akish, that he now has turned, that he's deserted, right? And so he is using, he's leveraging the opportunity to go and fight these other enemies of the Israelites, so he's taking his band of warriors out and he's going and he's raiding the Amalekites and the, you know, well, at one point the Amalekites decide to respond. They come and they, they sack his, uh, Ziklag is the name of his camp and they steal his daughter or his, um, his sons and daughters and all of their men's wives and sons and daughters. And, um, they come back and everything's pillaged. 
And in that moment, here's what's crazy. David, he, instead of like grabbing his sword and jumping on his horse and going after them, he pauses and he says, bring me the linen ephod, which is, if you study the linen ephod, it's the garment of praise. It's the garment that the priest would wear when they would go into the Holy of Holies. He asked for the garment of praise in the moment where everything had been stolen from him. Uh, and to me, what that says, that's the first step to taking back your story. You have to acknowledge what has happened, what has been stolen. You have to, you have to lament. Mm. You have to take it to the Lord and say, okay, uh, you give and you take away, but, but blessed be your name. Yeah. I, 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 and, and it says he wept until he had no, no more strength is what he did. And then he strengthened himself in the Lord. So he laments, he weeps, and then he bolsters himself with God's promises that God is still good, that he still has a plan for his life. And he asks for the linen ephod and he worships in that moment. The only other time that David, we see him with the linen ephod is that, that scene where he's marching into the city triumphantly and the girls are swooning from the windows and his <laughs> wife actually gets jealous. And yeah. he's like, he's half naked. He's dancing in a linen ephod. It's that whole, like, I'll become more, even more indignant. Gold powder song. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, right. Lincoln Brewster, I think maybe. <laughs> that first started that one. Yeah, yes. they all kind of did it at some point. I mean, when I, I, actually, worship, I was I doing did that, that at a service once, I highly don't recommend that. It's <laughs> yeah. not what it used right. to be. Yeah. But you see David in his most triumphant moment and his most tragic moment, putting on the garment of praise. Wow. And I think that is the first step, right? That's inviting the Lord into your story. And then what the Lord does is he reminds you where he's given you agency. Because trauma, tragedy, it, it robs us from a feeling of control or agency. We feel like everything is now out of control and it spirals because of that. So we get paralyzed. Yeah. But God, God goes, no, 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 hold on. <laughs> hold on. You still have, I've given you some agency. And so David, after he does all that, he goes, okay, God, what should we do? And God says, go take them back. Mm. And he does. He goes and he rescues them and takes them back. And that's the passage the Lord used to minister to me to say, Hey, listen, you can take back your story. Partner with me. We're going to go take it, take it back. But you can't get out ahead. You have to go through those yeah. steps first. So I think that's how you do that. For us, we, you know, things started getting a little bit spread in too many different directions with the church and with being asked to travel and speak yeah. and doing the podcast. It started to grow that we began to have to go, Lord, which one do you want us to drop? <laughs> Are we supposed to stop nothing is wasted or stop pastoring the local church? Honestly thought he would tell us to stop nothing is wasted and pastor the local church. And he told us the other, the opposite. Yeah. And he called us to step away from the church to go and do this full time, mm. which we had no idea what that looked like at, initially. Yeah. It was like, well, I can travel and speak and coach people, but right. and I don't know right. what else you, that means. Yeah, you and I connected a little bit at the ARC conference when we met. And it was, yeah, it's like, I got these two awesome things that I love both of them, but God, where, where do you want me? And it's, oh, it's so hard to know. They both take a lot of time. Yeah. So that's cool. And, and so um, cool. So garment of praise, we're, we're going back, we're, we're taken back. And I think that's a huge piece of like, uh, of our stories. It's like, if tragedy comes or when weapons come against us, like mm -hmm. it, it actually gives us purpose and gives us meaning. Right. And so how, how do you, uh, so obvious for, in your case, how you've done this is you've turned it into a ministry and you're writing, right materials and resources? How, how does the common person do that in their story? Well, I think you just have to begin to ask yourself, okay, how has God wired me? You know, not everybody's wired the same way. I'm wired as an entrepreneur. I'm wired uh, apostolically. I'm wired to go and like dream big, think big, assemble teams, do it right. And so God's wired me for that. Some people aren't wired for that. So you have to ask, okay, what's the convergence of how God's wired me, the, the passions that he's put inside of me and the world's greatest need. 
And when you layer all of like you layer your pain over top of that, I believe that you get into this place of convergence where it, it becomes very clear what it is that I'm supposed to do in terms of repurposing my pain. And sometimes that just means being open to conversations on a daily basis. Like, like some of my, some of my favorite things are not necessarily leading this team of this massive ministry where we're like jumping into churches and leading people through the pain to purpose curriculum. And like, we have coaches that are, I love that. I love hearing the stories of that. Some of my favorite times are sitting in an Uber car and asking the Uber driver, hey, how was your day? And watching what God does, where for whatever reason, they just start unloading all of their pain on me. I was in an Uber at one point, Zach, where I go, she goes, I don't know why I'm telling you my whole life story right now. I said, Zach, or I said, I said, I can't remember her name. I said, I know exactly why That's you're telling why. me yeah. your whole life story. And let me tell you my story. And there was something there that wow. was a gravitational pull that God will providentially bring people into your life if you're open to it. And that's how you repurpose it. When you start to minister to other people in your pain, that's when redemption takes place. Mm, that's cool. You know, we talk about Christy and our remarriage and the blend, that that's part of our redemption story. But truthfully, redemption begins when you decide I'm going to take this pain, partner with God, leverage it against the enemy by helping other people. And, and now you've got a powerful weapon. And so the part of, uh, you know, when you mentioned David, the part of the story of David and Goliath that I've been most excited to preach about lately, because everybody's heard of David and Goliath, right? We know it's the stone that took him down, but then he, he takes the weapon that was meant to destroy Goliath, which was Goliath's yeah. sword to actually finish him off. <laughs> but then the part I like, and I, I forget chronologically where it goes with, with your story from second Samuel six. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but the part it, that's amazing is there was an, a future battle where they had like no time to pack and prepare. And so they just had to flee. And, and so on the run and, and they have to go into battle and David asks, do, do I have a sword here? And his servant mm. says, yeah, you've got the sword of Goliath. And I love, mm. I, I love David's response. He says, there is none like it. Give it to me. And I just think, Man, that's so cool. Now you've got a powerful sword that you would have never had had you not been in that battle. And you're walking around with that to use that in future battles. And that's what I see so much in you, Davey. David, David. Right, right, um, right. That's what I see in you, man. You've got this powerful weapon that you are you are uh, not taking and squashing, but you are using it. And that's where yeah. your story is not just helping others, but it's helping you too at the same time, yeah. right? It is. It is. It brings us joy. It brings us fulfillment and meaning when we step into the redemptive purposes that God has for our life. And so, and, and on top of that, I mean, Genesis 50, you meant for yeah. this for evil, but God means it for good and for the saving of many lives. And so there's good that's happening in other people's lives, our life, and, and we're seeing people come to know Christ through it all. Yeah, it's great, dude. Well, one of the resources you you created is it's called Paint to Purpose, right? And it actually yeah. helps people walk through yeah. this. T tell us a little bit about that. That's right. That's the curriculum that really uh, I wish that I had had early on <laughs> Yeah. Uh, through my pain journey. What I did is I, we overlaid all the podcast conversations that we had had, people's pain journeys and their stories of healing and redemption. We took that, we laid it over top of my own healing story and redemption, um, and then counseling training that I had had through ACBC, biblical counseling, pastoral training, all the reading and research of trauma-informed type therapy or trauma-informed healing, and and we saw common deno common denominators rise to the top. We go, okay, this is it, from a biblical standpoint, this is the journey that everybody goes on if they're going to go from pain to purpose hmm. and it's not necessarily linear it's just we call them waypoints these are the waypoints that you're going to have to walk through if you're going to find purpose out of your pain so it's a course that we launch people can do it as a self-directed study online they can do it through one of our one-on-one -on -one coaches 
which is really unique because our coaches coach people directly through specific targeted pain points. Wow. Mm. So we have a coach for child loss. We have a coach for widows. We have a coach for widowers. We have a coach for sexual betrayal. We have a coach for childhood trauma. We have a coach for abortion, regret, and recovery. Like Mm. it's very specific so that if someone comes to us with that specific story, we can go, yeah, let me match you up with that coach because that's their story. They know what you're going to experience and they've been certified through our pain to purpose pathway. So they can do it one-on-one with a coach or they can also do it at their local church. So we're launching it in local churches and you know, their discipleship rhythms all over the country now. So it's just a it's been incredible to see what God has been doing through pain to purpose. Love it, dude. And I, I get asked a lot because we, we get a lot of churches that go through one of our 40-day challenges. I'm like, what next? What, what else can we do to study? And I'm like, this is it, guys. Uh, check this out. And so, yeah. hey, we ask every guest the final question. Uh, at the end of the day, our, our goal as a podcast is to challenge people to be greater followers of Jesus wherever mm-hmm. they are. And so if you could challenge our audience to do one thing practically this week that would make them greater disciples of Jesus, what, what would you issue? I would say don't run away from the pain that you're experiencing. Lean into it, invite the Lord into it, whether it's through counseling, journaling, you know, prayer, whatever it is, safe, trusted community, but begin to unpack and untangle that pain because there is some, there's a key in there that God wants to use and he wants to leverage it. Just like you said, the enemy's weapon that has been wielded against you, he wants, he wants to put it in your hand and now wield it against the enemy. Hmm. And, and that's, that right there is how you ensure that nothing in this life can paralyze you from having the kingdom effectiveness that God has designed you for. Come on, preach it, baby. I love it. I love it. All right, Davey. Hey, if people want to connect with you, where can they find you these days? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Davey Blackburn, D-A-V-E-Y-B-L-A-C-K-B-U-R-N. You can find me on Facebook too, same thing. You can also find us at nothingiswasted.com or DaveyBlackburn.com. Cool. All right, listeners. Hey, if you take his challenge to lean into that pain, let us know. Hashtag red letter disciple. We want to lean in with you and uh, encourage you, support you. Davey, uh, man, this was great. It was a great interview because I got to probably none of my questions, but (laughs) it was awesome. We can do it again sometime. A long-winded preacher on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're talking to a bunch of preachers when we get together. But seriously, thank you for playing your role in the kingdom. Definitely. It it came with a cost that I can't even imagine. Mm. And yet there's power in what you're doing and you're still standing brother yeah keep going keep going bro all right man blessings thank you guys appreciate y'all man what an inspiring incredible story and i I not only thank davy for coming onto our podcast but just for taking what was meant to destroy him and helping people now um, get out of what the enemy meant means to destroy them and helping them find freedom. That's incredible. Nothing is wasted. Hey, if you want to connect more with Davey and his resources, which I would highly recommend, check out our show notes at redletterpodcast.com. And you can connect with him and everything he's doing there. Not only there at the show notes, but you'll be able to see our sponsor, which is the Disciple Making for Churches free masterclass that I was telling you about earlier, where I'm going to give you three videos and tackle really a lot of the key central things when it comes to helping churches make disciples, because that's what we want at the end of the day. So that's that, folks. It's going to be a great episode next week. Well, I hope it is, because... If it's not, it's really my fault because I'm the guest. (laughs) Chris is going to be turning the mic on me, and I'm going to share a little bit more about my heart for why I care so much about making disciples and helping churches and pastor leaders do that at their churches. 
for the last 10 years, I've been in this space and I've learned quite a bit. And I really hope to bring some of the best content and things that I've learned so that I can help churches establish their own disciple making playbook or strategy that they can employ at their church. Now is not the time, pastors and church leaders, for half-hearted, unintentional, or even mediocre representations of Jesus. It's time for the world to see Jesus through your church. And next week, I'm hopefully going to help you do that. So if you don't want to miss that, by the way, what do you do? You rate, you review, you subscribe, you follow. And that way, when you subscribe and follow, at least it'll pop up on your feed next week. And so we'll see you then for another episode of The Red Letter Disciple. A Huda Media Production.